For me, some of the most beautiful photos of our cathedral are taken on days like this, where the sky is gray, it's early in the morning, and you have that thick, wet snow just drifting all over the top of the cathedral. It's almost like an icing on top of the cake. It's just like these beautiful, beautiful uh, ledges of white draping around our beautiful cathedral in St. Paul with that dome just pointing up towards the heavens. And it looked like that this morning as we got our first decent dose of snow here in the Twin Cities. In the church's ritual books, you know, we have all kinds of different prayers and texts for the saints, different kinds of saints, and they're in a certain order from front to back, just to make it accessible. So you've got, you know, prayers in there for pastors and bishops of the church, those who are holy virgins, men religious, women religious, um, educators, those who practice mercy. Um, Maybe someday we'll have a a common of married couples, as we have more and more of those saints canonized. But it's interesting that as you move towards the, the beginning of those prayers, there is a little bit of a hierarchy because some of the, the most uh, proper first prayers listed in there are the apostles, very important to the pillars of the church. Even higher than the apostles is the prayers for the Blessed Virgin Mary, of course the Queen of all saints, even more um, endowed with grace than the Twelve. And then there's even one before our Blessed Mother, one that seems to be more prominent that's the prayers we're using today. It's the prayers from the commons of the dedication of a church. I think that's instructive for us. Even though we love Our Lady so much, and Our Lady is an image of the church, of course. She receives Jesus into herself and allows his life to come into the world. Those prayers for the dedication of the church are at the very beginning, at the very top of the list, because the church is all of God's people. It's all the vocations. It's all the states of life. It includes our Blessed Mother and the Apostles and the Prophets and and holy men and women and us. And when the church celebrates the dedication of a new church, whether it's the dedication of St. Rose of Lima's altar or whether it's the cathedral in St. Paul, it's celebrating really all of God's redemptive work among his people. And that's more important than any one single saint even as amazing and as graced as they may be. So I think that's instructive for us today that, that when a church is dedicated, it's, it's two things at once. It, first of all is the building, the beautiful, beautiful building we, we build to honor God, beauty and splendor, stained glass windows, beautiful kinds of granite and marble and rock and wood. It's the beautiful place, the temple, that like Solomon built in the Old Testament, is meant to speak to us of the grandeur of God and be a place to worship. We dedicate that church building. But it's also a remembrance that the church is also the people of God. Even more properly such, we as God's people, baptized into Christ, are living stones. You and I are fit together by the Lord to become a holy temple of God's dwelling. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the bedrock. The apostles and prophets make up the pillars, and then we built on top. We fill out this beautiful structure with all of our different gifts and personalities and our life history. We're living stones built together 
into a holy temple. To conclude, I just want to offer just a little image of of how as a church, in both these senses, both the physical sense and also the spiritual sense, how the church is called to evangelize. And I would say it's kind of like this. As a church, we evangelize by surrounding others. A big church like ours at St. Rose, it, it surrounds us. It kind of like sucks us in to the building. And when people who are not disciples of the Lord, when they come into a beautiful place like, like the cathedral, and they're surrounded by the majesty, they encounter the living Christ. And in our lives, too, as those fitting stones, we're called to evangelize not by telling people, hey, listen, once you get your life in order, once you figure things out, once you believe in Jesus, then you can come inside. Then you can be part of this, this life and belong. No, we first are missionaries and we surround those people. We embrace them in love. We bring them into our community. And even though they might not believe and even though they might not be able to participate fully, we surround them. It's almost like an amoeba. That might be a gross image, but you're like the amoeba. Slowly and surely, you surround other people who don't, don't know Jesus yet. And as they are, abide more and more in the center of the church and the center of our relationships, slowly but surely, they can begin to meet the Lord. Like Zacchaeus did, who was literally surrounded by Jesus and his disciples as they were on the ground. He's surrounded by them looking up at him. They're surrounding Zacchaeus. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is bringing them into his home. He's rejoicing. He's being forgiven. He's been found. So, brothers and sisters, let's be that church that evangelizes, that like an amoeba or like the beautiful, beautiful structure we have here, that just goes and surrounds others with love and just embraces them and holds them to our heart. And yes, they might squirm. Yes, they might leave. Yes, they might even swear. But we hold them close to us. And we let them encounter the love that surrounds them from every direction. For the church has Christ at the center, and Christ has come to seek and to save what was lost.